We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the Evo Shandor Studios to talk to you about the absolute demolition that the Georgia Bulldogs endured at the hands of the Alabama Crimson Tide this past weekend in the SEC Championship game and to try to figure out why it happened and whether or not there is any chance of a better outcome from Georgia in a rematch. For fans of Georgia sports, this was a rather traumatic experience watching this game, but it's a trauma that, let's be honest, most Georgia sports fans are used to. And hopefully, hopefully the dogs can rally and get the job done in a rematch. If you're new to the show, please follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. Please make sure to like and share this podcast on your streaming platform of choice. And as always, you can email us, titleronsports at gmail.com. So I've basically been engaged in group therapy with all my Bulldogs fans over the last two days as we all just try to figure out why we lost the SEC championship and if we're ever going to beat Alabama. And I'm logical by nature, so I like concrete answers. So when I see people posting things on social media like, Bama just has our number, that that's not a real answer to me. Or Kirby is scared of Saban. Again, that's not a real answer for me. Georgia can't win big games. Again, not a real answer to me. We won the SC Championship in 2017 and won the Rose Bowl, one of the best Rose Bowls in the history of college football. Those aren't real answers. There are real, tangible reasons for losing a football game, and that's what I want to talk about here. Now, right off the jump, I'll tell you the number one reason that Georgia lost this game is Bryce Young. Entering Saturday, I had Will Anderson as number one on my Heisman ballot because I felt like he was the most impactful player in all of college football. After watching Bryce Young absolutely decimate the number one defense in the country to the tune of four touchdowns and over 400 yards total offense, I no longer hold that opinion. And Bryce Young is first by miles on my Heisman ballot. Well, my imaginary Heisman ballot, so I don't actually have one. Um, But beyond that, I wanted to share with you five numbers that really summarize the SC Championship game. If you're a follower of us, Title on Sports on Facebook or Twitter, you might have already seen this. So the first number I wanted to give you is the number zero. That's the number of sacks UGA had Saturday. They ended the game 41 sacks, and they ended this game with eight pressures but no sacks. Did not get Bryce Young on the ground a single time. If you'd give me odds on Georgia ending this game without a sack, I would have said they were, I would have said that was nigh impossible, especially watching Auburn set Bryce Young seven times and chase him around all night. I just thought there was absolutely no chance, even if Alabama's offensive line played well, of them escaping this game with, with us not getting Bryce Young on the ground a single time. And had you told me that we would end the game with zero sacks, I could have predicted that Bryce Young would have a 400-yard game with four touchdowns. I, that would have been a logical outcome for me. I just didn't think there was any chance of that happening. And Georgia tried pressure with four early in the game, got nothing. Blitz with five and six-man pressures and played a lot of man-free in the second quarter. Didn't work. Alabama picked up all of our stunts. We couldn't get home with five, couldn't get home with six. And the times we did get pressure, we either got outrun by Bryce Young or he did Harry Houdini magic, like lateraling the ball 
on a no-look pass to his running back for first downs. It was just nuts. And Kirby said this after the game. He said it at halftime also. If we don't get him on the ground, he's going to kill us. And that's the case for any team in the nation. If you don't get Bryce Young on the ground, he's too good. He's got two stud receivers, and he's too accurate and too good on the move for you to stop him. I mean, and it was just ridiculous. So that was probably the biggest surprise of the game to me. And the thing that I still have not fully wrapped my mind around is that Georgia got zero sacks, something that I just didn't think was possible. The second number, the number three, that's the number of third downs that UJ converted in this game. They were three of 12. Alabama, seven of 14. And this is probably the biggest difference between Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels. Daniels was phenomenal on third down last year and this year. Completed over 80% of his passes, or excuse me, right at 80% of his passes on third down this year. Bennett has been good in the red zone throughout most of the season, but he has not been nearly as good on third down. And we'll circle back around to that later on in the podcast when we talk about whether or not they need to keep Stetson as starter or move forward with JT Daniels. The third number is the number 10. That's the number of points UJ scored on four red zone trips. Four trips inside the red zone, you got one touchdown and one field goal. They were stopped twice at the 19-yard line with no points. Once on an INT where Brock Bowers stops his route. Stetson Bennett throws the ball. If Brock Bowers keeps running, it's probably an incompletion. Meanwhile, Ladd McConkey is open in the end zone. And another time, Kirby goes forward on fourth down when he probably, in hindsight, should have taken the points. It's a pretty easy kick. Take the points, get the game down to 11. I think that was probably a mistake, and I think it was also a mistake of Kirby to punt the ball back to Alabama with about seven minutes left in the game. I didn't think that was the right call either. The third number is the number 24. That's the number of points Alabama scored on four consecutive possessions in the second quarter. And that included three just clearly blown coverages where Georgia just didn't cover a guy and left him wide open for Bama. And I'm not talking about like a play where they ran past one of Georgia's players. That happened later on. But just three coverages where they just have two guys covering one guy and no one covering another guy. So Bama scored on all four possessions in the second quarter, 24 points. On their other seven possessions of the game, they scored 10 points. The fourth number is the number 48. That's the number of times that Stetson bent through the football. That's the second most for a UJ quarterback during the Kirby Smart era. The most ever was Jake Fromm, who had 51 attempts in that really ugly 2019 loss to South Carolina, where UJ was absolutely not able to run the ball because James Coley kept calling inside zone right at Javon Kinlaw and couldn't figure out how to run the ball outside the tackles. And we lost that game, and Stetson dropped back through the ball 48 times with success, um, threw for 340 yards and three touchdowns, and it wasn't enough. So... Those are five numbers that I really feel like sum up a lot of the game. Now, coming into this game, we on this podcast predicted that Georgia would win basically by a touchdown, which is right in line with what everyone else was saying. I had them by nine. I think Scott and Jonathan had them by around six or seven. Essentially a score that was somewhere around 28-21, 30-24. I think I said 30-21. So Georgia by a touchdown, meaning they would win comfortably. Not not blow Alabama out, but win comfortably. And when when Georgia got up 10-0, I thought it was game on. I thought the Bulldogs were about to roll. I was wrong. There were several things that I got wrong. Uh, one was the score, obviously, is Georgia lost by 17-41-24. Uh, 
the biggest thing, though, is what I've already touched on is that Georgia got zero sacks. We got absolutely no pressure by rushing four, as we already talked about. We blitzed and didn't get home. And I just I, – I don't understand it. And and I entered the game with the assumption that Georgia would get to Bryce Young three or four times. There would be another handful of times that he would escape, get away, and make plays. But that the three or four times we got to him would put Bama behind the sticks in, or in drives. And that, you know, and that those three or four sacks would essentially maybe keep seven to ten points off the board. Because we didn't get those sacks, a team that I thought would score 21 to 24 points scored 34 in offense. And I came into the game thinking that we'd hold Bama on to 30. All of us did. It didn't happen. So just the inability to get pressure on Bryce Young is probably the biggest thing that we got wrong that I think everybody in the world that analyzes this game, even people that thought Bama was going to win, thought that we would get pressure on Bryce Young. And that is probably the biggest thing that was wrong. And that that subsequently led to us being wrong about how many points Georgia could hold Bama to and ultimately the outcome of the game. Um, I also didn't expect Kirby to have to make real coaching decisions. And he made two questionable ones we've already talked about. Not getting a field goal in the third quarter and then punting with seven minutes left and down two scores in the fourth. And Georgia got the ball back with two minutes left and the game was over because they're down 17. I thought that was a mistake. Now, a few things we got right. From the defense perspective, Alabama was one-dimensional. They didn't have much of a run game. They threw the ball 44 times despite leading the game for the last, what, 35 minutes. They still kept throwing the ball. And on handoffs, true handoffs, running the ball, they were 22 carries for 76 yards was, you know, about three and a half yards a carry. Not great. The best runs of the night were by Bryce Young. And then I think each of the running backs, Sanders and Robinson, I think each had like a 15-yard run, which was, you know, a third or fourth of their rushing yards for those two. I was right when I said that we couldn't cover Bama's receivers, which I was worried about. We could not cover Jamison Williams. He even beat a double team for a touchdown in the third quarter. And we had trouble covering John Mechie because – well, there was no pass rush, as we just said, and he was able to run around until he got open. We were also right saying that Bryce Young would extend plays. We just thought that he wouldn't extend all of the plays. On offense, we were right in saying that they had no answer for Brock Bowers. She went 10 for 139 and a touchdown and was the best player on Georgia's offense by miles. Was also right about James Cook being very effective before we got too far behind to use him or felt like we were too far behind to use him. Because we basically stopped running the ball in the second quarter, which I didn't get because we were relatively effective running the ball. And we were right in saying that Georgia would be able to win one-on-ones versus Bama's secondary. You saw Pickens catch a jump ball early in the game. Brock Bowers was very, very difficult for them to match up with. James Cook was difficult for them to match up with. That's what we got right. Now, let's take a deeper look into this. What happened to the Georgia defense? And is there any hope of being better in a rematch? To answer the first question, Georgia's defense made a bunch of uncharacteristic mistakes on an epic level. Mistakes that we just haven't seen them make all year. And there's reasons for it. Like I said, there's there's always reasons why these things happen. And that's where I want to spend some time. There are some clear, obvious things that happened that led to this disastrous 18 minutes of defense we saw from Georgia in the second and beginning of the third quarter. And to be honest, it was so bad and so anomalous on the defense side of the ball. I don't think that our horrible performance is repeatable against Bama. And I don't think Bama playing essentially perfect in the passing game on Saturday night is going to be repeatable. So the first thing is, and most people have already realized this, that we were playing a new player at star, William Poole III. 
I asked the question to my amigos, Chris Phillips, if y'all listen to this during the game, is Brini hurt? Apparently, Kirby has simply chosen to go in a new direction at the star position by playing William Poole III. Now, the star position in the Georgia defense is a nickel position, but in describing it, it's not nickel in the way that you think of a nickel in the NFL where it's just a slot corner. In Georgia's defense, this guy is essentially a slot safety. And a very crucial part of the star role is understanding different coverages. Georgia runs a lot of complex match coverages where you will end up in man-to-man, but who you cover in man-to-man depends on what routes they run. One of those is cover seven, which is a saving coverage play to trips, where based on what routes you get from the number one and two receiver, that determines who matches the route by number one and who matches the route by number two. So it'll essentially end up in man, but it's a zone match where you're matching based on where the receivers end up. And, of course, if y'all match incorrectly, you will end up with someone uncovered. And these are the kind of things that take a lot of reps and good mental preparation. And as you saw, when you bust, the busts are significant. And what you've seen in that position of Georgia is typically he either had a guy that was a little bigger and more physical and played like a safety, like a, like a Mark Webb, and one guy that was a little smaller and quicker and played like a corner, like a Tyreek Stevenson. What they want is a guy that's a hybrid, a safety body that can really cover, which they finally had in Tyke Smith. So that's why his loss was so crucial. So in playing Latavius Brini there, you're playing really a safety there who's probably not quite as good in coverage as you want. And Brini was starting to get exposed at the end of the year. People were picking on him in coverage. So they chose to take William Poole III, a senior fourth-year player who was a four-star recruit. He's a corner. They moved him into the star, started playing him more there since the Tennessee game, converted cornerback, and Kirby, I guess, is trying to get more speed and coverage skills at that position. With that comes the loss of a guy who's played 10 games in that position, and Brini knows the checks, knows how to match, and Poole got out there and busted. I saw two clear coverages in the second quarter. And as the nearest defender, Bama was 9 of 11 throwing at Poole with 111 yards after the catch. Most of that came on one play, which actually was not his fault. So when we talk about some of these busts that Georgia made, one of the ones that happened was on a third down throw to John Mechie when he was wide open in the flats. All that Bama ran was a slant out combination where the number one receiver slanted, the number two receiver works to the flats. The corner and the star, who was Poole, both jump the slant. And the result is that Mechie is uncovered on the sideline. Y'all, that's like a middle school route. Earlier in the game, on the big play that started this saw, the Jamison Williams touchdown, Bama is in a trips set with three receivers to one side, one receiver to the other side. They run one receiver on a shallow crossing route at about three yards. The linebacker takes him. They run another receiver on a slant route. The star takes him. And then they run Jamison Williams on a deep over route, which is the route that you see the Kansas City Chiefs run a whole lot of with the Cheetah, Tyreek Hill, where they just sprint across the field, getting working to about 15 yards depth as fast as they can. Now, UGA is lined up in a two-deep coverage where the backside safety, who is Lewis Seen, should pick up this route as it crosses the field. The ball is probably going to be completed no matter what Seen does, but he's going to be able to tackle Jamison Williams for about 15 yards. Instead, Lewis Seen comes all the way down on the three-yard route that is under the linebackers, that the linebackers are watching, 
and leaves the back side of the formation wide open so that when Jamison Williams catches that deep over route, there is no one there, and he's got a 10-yard head start on Chris Smith who cannot catch him. These are things we have not seen Georgia do all year. And the question I have for Kirby is after you watch Poole bust two coverages, maybe more in that first half, why do you not go back to Brini? And Poole figured it out later on in the game. He was better. But why do you not go back to Brini? At least enough to talk to Poole and figure this out. And Kirby mentioned it after the game. He said, you know, with him being new to the position, we got to get him up to speed mentally. Well, yeah, he had some busts. I mean, Kirby said that he had some busts. But it's like, yeah, it may have cost you that football game. Okay, so with the first Alabama matchup in the rearview mirror, does Georgia have any chance of beating Michigan? Well, yes, because Michigan does not have Bryce Young, <laughs> and Michigan does not have Jameson Williams. Michigan is a good team. They run the football at a level that Alabama does not this year. They play defense on a really high level. Talked to some of my friends that mentioned that, you know, they have a Will Anderson on their team, Aiden Hutchinson, who's one of the best players in college football, and I agree with them. But if you notice, Will Anderson was very, very quiet on on a Saturday night, the Georgia Bulldogs did a very good job offensively scheming him and blocking him. He had very minimal impact on the game. I think he had one sack late in the game. But he was not an impact player for the majority of that game. And I think that they can find ways to neutralize Aiden Hutchinson as allowing pressure on the quarterback has not been a consistent problem for Georgia all year. Michigan has some explosive receivers. They will be able to win some one-on-one matchups, but they do not have a Bryce Shelling. Cade McNamara does not have Bryce Young's elusiveness and accuracy down the field. They don't have a Jamison Williams. This is a better matchup for the Georgia defense. I don't think they can score 41. I don't know that they can score 30 on Georgia, but this is another good defense. And it's a secondary that I honestly think is better than Alabama's, um, with Daxon Hill being, I think, better than either of the safeties that Alabama has. And with DJ Turner arguably being better than either of the corners they have, I think that's a pretty good unit. And so... I think Georgia can win, but they have to fix some of the things that went wrong in this game. Does UGA have hope in a rematch against Alabama? Well, yeah. Alabama played an A game in offense, and UGA played their worst defensive game of the year. And they were really only bad on defense for four possessions. And Kirby said this. You know a team as good as Alabama is going to win one-on-one matchups. When Jamison Williams beats double coverage, and runs past both your safety and corner and catches a perfectly thrown ball, I can actually live with that. He's good. You knew UJ would lose some of those matchups. But what can't happen is when you get a route that people have been seeing since middle school and you bust it and leave a guy wide open for an easy first down on third down. Those are the plays that can't happen that I do not think would happen again in a rematch. And in a game where UJ rolled up 449 yards of offense, 31st downs, which was five more than Bama got. Stetson threw for 340 yards, three touchdowns, should have had more. If I told you that going into the game, you'd assume we won. If I told you that we would duplicate that offensive production rematch, you would take it. But here we are having lost, and I think the biggest concern for a lot of Georgia fans is that if we lost the game against Alabama, we assumed it would be the offense that let us down. It wasn't. It was our defense that betrayed us. And so it feels like we've just been stabbed in the back. Like, it's like the defense has been lying to us all year. Let me calm you down. It was bad. It was bad for a quarter. It's not quite as bad as it feels. We played five really bad possessions of defense and were really pretty stellar the rest of the game.
but, but, but you can't spot Bama a 24-piece and expect to win this game. And talking about Stetson's numbers, when you're talking about how the, the yards that he rolled up and the touchdowns, you also have to mention the interceptions. He threw what should have been a pick six in the first half that was dropped. He threw a pick six on what was really a pretty difficult coverage to decipher in the second half when they did a robber coverage where they showed too high, rolled a safety in the zone where he was throwing the slant. And honestly, I think that was just a really great play and a great call by Bama. Yes, that's responsible for making the read, but that was that was tough. And um, threw a pick to Brock Bowers that probably should not have been a pick. But again, the decision to throw the ball to that spot on the field was still a questionable one. And so this leads to the question, is Stetson Bennett good enough to beat Bama? Well, the answer Saturday was no, but that was with the defense playing horribly. If the defense plays an average game, is Stetson Bennett good enough to beat Bama? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What happens if JT plays on Saturday? JT Daniels. He makes more throws for sure, but probably gets sacked three more times. I mean, we probably convert more third downs and score, you know, maybe one more red zone touchdown, but does that change the outcome? I don't know. I think, though, I'm at the point where a lot of you are where I'm ready to see. I'm ready to see. And there is just all kinds of rumors swirling around Athens this week. There's rumors that we got kids that were ready to transfer because they think JT should be the starter and not Stetson, and they're not happy with the ball but just with the ball distribution. There's a rumor floating around that JT Daniels was in the doghouse because his own personal doctors and his family wanted him to continue sitting out after he was cleared by UJ Dr. Ron Corson. That's floating around out there. And then apparently they had a big falling out between Kirby and JT and his family, and that's why they benched him. Him and Munkin were tired of it and sick of it. Stuff about JT Daniels being a prima donna. And is any of it true? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that Stetson Bennett is 0-2 against Alabama. And I do know that JT Daniels elevated our offense when he played in it last year. And if you're asking me the difference between the two, it's not arm strength or even height, which people want to bring up. It's processing. Daniels is just better at getting the ball to the right places and making pre-snap reads and adjustments. He just is. He puts the ball in harm's way way less often, and he's phenomenal on third down. 80% completion rate on third down this year with three touchdowns and one interception and a quarterback rating 178. Last year in a larger sample size, 70% completion percentage, six touchdowns, one interception with a QB rating of 230, which is absurdly high. Anything over 180, 190 is really good. Last year, he was 69% in the red zone with a rating of 206. And by comparison, Stetson Bennett isn't great on third downs. 51% completion rate on third downs with a rating of 116. Neither of those are good. Now, where Bennett excels in the red zone, he's been really good in the red zone. 58% completion percentage with a rating of 227, 11 touchdowns, and one interception. That was his first interception of the year in the red zone on Saturday. He's been really good there, and his legs have helped Georgia even more. So, Georgia fans, it's frustrating. It was ugly. It was bad at some points. It was really bad. I mean, when you watch Jamison Williams run past two of our defensive backs to catch a perfectly thrown ball in the third quarter— it was a very helpless feeling. But I will say what I said before. I don't know that Bama's offensive performance is something they can duplicate. I don't know that Georgia's poor defensive performance is something that they can duplicate. And 
I think that if Kirby's willing to make the move, JT Daniels may be able to make the one or two plays you needed in the red zone to give us a shot, even with the poor defense, of winning this game. Because if I was to tell you that in the rematch, Georgia scores 31 points and doesn't turn the ball over in the red zone and throw a pick six, you would probably say, I like our chances. So again, I don't know what happens from here. I still love my dogs. I still have faith. Yes, it's been rattled a little bit, but I still have faith. And I don't know if JT Daniels is the answer, but like a lot of you, I'm ready to find out and I'm ready to see what the rest of the season holds. Go dogs. This has been David Thay from Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.